0: You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Philippians chapter 3 is what I invite you to get your Bible open to for our time in God's Word this morning. Um... Not really good to exposit any passage. This is going to be a little uh, biographical at some, in some measure. And I don't really like to do that. One of the um, commitments I think I made clear when I got here, I just want to open up God's word and this is what God says. And so I've, I think I've uh, uh, done that. And, but this morning's a little different. So, but we will start with a passage of scripture as well. This is Philippians chapter 3. We'll look at verses 7 through 11. Philippians chapter 3, 7 through 11. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. And the power of his resurrection, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Grass withers, flower fades, word of our God stands forever. Some ways I feel like I've been preparing uh, for this sermon for, for years, I've packed up my church office now. I've packed everything up and then unpacked it, and let me tell you, unpacking it is harder than packing it. Uh, It was uh, we've got, but I think we've got it all kind of uh, satisfactorily packed and unpacked now. Uh, So, but in in the midst of doing that, inevitably I've uncovered uh, things from my past, and I've been encouraged and challenged by many of them. You just really don't know what you're going to face in the future. And so I wish I were a better record keeper. I'm, I'm not all that great, but I try. And so I, uh, I found this little gem, this little beauty. I started this little journal June 1st, 2016. It was my first day here as uh, interim pastor. And so, I, you know, I, I was reading through this journal. I, I'm moved by my simple desire through the stress of Jana's recovery, which I mentioned, then Darla's cancer diagnosis, surgery, and the terror of all the treatments and the fallout from the treatments that we went through, to still work hard for the spread of the gospel through this local body. God has been very gracious to me. I mean, I, I, I'm very grateful. I read through this and I think, boy, there is nothing in me that, I, I, I'm so grateful for this cause, this, this anchor that I that by God's grace I have clung through, clung to through all of this. I consider myself fortunate that the goals that I established when I got here have essentially remained the same goals. And I think they've actually been met. <laughs> Like, I want to just indulge me a little bit here. June 1st, 2016, I'm sitting back in the, little, in the office with that bookcase that hinges in the middle. It's not a desk, but I used it for a desk for like the first five months or something. It was just this little funny thing, and I used the, the drum throne, little stool as my seat. Anyway, first day, of, first day of six-month appointment at interim pastorate for First Christian Church. What does this hold? That's a good question. Father, may you be glorified and magnified above all else. By your grace, may I be found faithful. The work to be done outweighs me. May I prove to be a faithful minister of your gospel. Would you draw people to yourself through my time here? Even if this is to be a forgotten six months in the history of this church, that was my first six-month appointment, Even if this is to be a forgotten six months in the history of this church, may this six months contribute much to the remembrance of Jesus Christ in this church. Father, help me to simultaneously see first the largeness of what you are doing so that I don't become overstressed with my specific task or despair when it doesn't progress as I think it should. That the largest, God is doing something. It's not on me. I don't need to despair. He's doing it. Or, the, and also, help me to see simultaneously the intimacy of your work. So that I may overlook no one that you bring across my path as one who desperately needs you as we all do. I just can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> like, I think, huh. Huh. I'd say the same thing today. I just want to be found faithful and settled in the work that God is doing, not have to stress out about what's going to happen, but resting in his power, but also simultaneously grounded in the intimacy of his work. Though God is doing something grand, he's doing it in individuals that every single person matters and needs to hear the good news of the gospel. So, I, I actually think some of those goals have been met. I, I, I read this and I'm quite, um, I, I, I tend, I, I fight pride a lot, but I, I, I look around and I think, you know, I'm proud of the work that's been done here. So though I'm not discouraged really over the turn of events as of late, there is no denying though that it is a failure of a certain type. Um, I wanted, and indeed my prayer for many years, as you've heard, was for things to go a certain way here that I thought would be beneficial for all involved, but the answer to that prayer ended up being no. I mean, for all practical purposes, that prayer, that answer ended up being a no. Um, Thankfully, though, I've been trained to trust Jesus when he answers no to a prayer, it's a trust, though, that's been discovered through some hard times. At the end of that same journal, I only kept it up through January 2017, and then I jumps to a different journal, I'm sure, somewhere, and I've got journals of or whatever. It's everywhere. Uh, that's just to be thrown away at some point. Uh, but at the end of this journal, I, I reference a thought from Thomas Watson in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment. And there he says, in reference to God... And the request that we make of him. He says that God, that no good thing does he withhold. No good thing does God withhold from his people. And so Watson concludes that if we have asked for a thing and God has answered no, we should conclude that the thing requested was not going to be for our good. And Thomas Watson's writing in the Puritan era, wait, I mean they're they're they are dealing with lots of serious. Hard realities. Child mortality rate is through the roof. Sicknesses, there's no, there's no hospitals like we know today. Going to the dentist, I don't even want to think about what that would have been like. And all of these no's, no good thing, he writes, does he withhold. But how, how can we conclude that, that the thing we requested in hearing a no, how can we conclude that it was not going to be For our good, how can we honestly be so? How can any no be a good thing when what we desire seems honestly to be a good thing and to hear a no? How can that be a good thing? I don't think my desire for a Christ honoring, biblically faithful congregation to exist here was a bad desire. I do not think that my involvement in it was bad or or dishonorable request. And yet the answer for all practical purposes is no. And that does seem to be, it is a loss. That is a no of some regard. Yet in the midst of trials and troubles, and even in the fallout of no answers to your prayers, the Christian can live unswerved and anchored in this life. But how? How? So Jesus began to set this up in Darlene and I's life probably 10 or 15 years ago. I alluded to it last week with the Don't Waste Your Life book. Pastors like Piper, John Piper, and many others um, that I could mention, but I won't. About 10 or 15 years ago, we began to cling to a refrain that says this. It says, I am free to lose because Christ is gain. I'm free to lose because Christ is gain. And we actually wrote a song do you want me to sing it for you? No, I'm not going to. We actually wrote a song together and it's very simple and I'm not going to perform it for you. But the tagline is, I'm free to lose because Christ is gain. I can lose all possessions. You're the treasure that remains. I'm free to lose because Christ is gain. Why do I labor for that which leaves me dry? Uh, Christ is the treasure above all treasures. I am free to lose because Christ is game. Well, that idea flows from this passage that we read this morning. At the start of this chapter, it's interesting to hear Paul there in chapter three, beginning of verse one. He's talking about these evil doers who put confidence in this flesh. They talk about what great people they are. And Paul says, "You want to talk about what great people you are as regards to the law?" He's like. I'm, uh, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, the tribe of Benjamin circumcised on the eighth day as to the law of Pharisee or as to zeal, a persecutor of the church. He's like, I am the most zealous, uh, just in for it, religious person that you could be. I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. Unrighteousness under the law, he's blameless. Paul has this incredible pedigree. These biographical details of his life are numerous and impressive. And he says, all of that? It's nothing to me. I don't care about it. I don't care what impressive thing I can do in front of you. I don't care what what, what uh, pedigree I can list off with how impressive I am. It's all rubbish. I don't care about any of it. I consider it all, not only do I not care about it, I actually consider it loss. Like to have these great things, I'll throw them away, the rubbish, refuge, refuse, dirty rags filthy garments these good things that paul has in his life he's he's this incredible resume that he lays out it means nothing to him considers it garbage makes you think paul's gone mad like all the things that we would love to be able to fill out our resume of here's all the things i've accomplished here's how here's how impressive i am you know here's here's how, here's why you should want me on your team paul throws it away well is it because paul values nothing is he just gone mad Paul is able to, consider, to say that he considers nothing of an impressive nature, even the great accomplishments of his life, as having any real meaningful value in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. It's right there in the text. He says, For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He is saying that he found something of such incredible value that there is nothing to gain or lose that can steal away the incredible gain he already has. He already has something so magnificent, so wonderful, so overwhelming that no matter what the details of this life work out, he can rest. He can rejoice. He can trust Christ because the gain that he has found in Christ, he's now free to lose because Christ is gain. Uh, years ago, this is it in my notes. Maybe I shouldn't share this. Let me think through. Uh, Years ago, I did youth ministry, and I got together with some a group of kids. And theology was not necessarily super great, and I got lots to work still, uh, lots of work still to do. Um, but I gathered with this group of athletes. They were junior high, you know, young athletes, and we would get together and pray and and talk about this reality. I mean, they're just involved in extracurricular activities, band, choir, whatever you want it to be, drama. And we would pray, and, and the hope, the prayer at this time was, let's, let's pray and see if we can get success so that you can use that platform to talk about Jesus. That was kind of the, the theological system. You know, you, you get, get successful enough, and then people begin to listen to you, and then you can say, hey, let me tell you about this guy who helped me succeed. And you see it all the time, you know, the Academy Award winners or football stars or whoever, and I'm glad they do it when they do it, when they give all thanks to Jesus for their perseverance or whatever. And that was kind of the hope. But I began to have my mind switched. Everyone wants success. And so when you begin to say, well, um, God's going glor- to be glorified. If I succeed and give him the thanks, that's going to make him look precious. It is. It, 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 it will. You know what makes him look really precious? It is when you lose and you say, I can lose this game. I can lose this match. I don't have to get a a, a, a one rating. I don't have to be the star of the play. I'm free to lose because what I have in Jesus is so valuable to me. I'm free to lose because Christ is gain. And to raise up a generation of, of student athletes, of student individuals, to, to, try, to treasure what is truly valuable. And then to take that on into your adult life. Because all of us know, right, we have multiple times in our future where it is not just a steady climb of success, 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 everything going your way. And then you get to the pinnacle and you've got your yacht and all the acclaims and you've got your full bank account and you're flying to space that you can say, hey, I got all this because of Jesus, isn't he great? What makes him look great is when cancer happens, is when heart defects happen, when church strife happens, when relationships fall apart. And you say, in the midst of all of this, I cannot be shaken because what I have is of such high value. I have Christ. And if, if I could get all of these things They're just, they're loss in comparison to having Christ. That's why we spent so many weeks working through 1 Peter, right? There, Peter's talking about this inheritance, imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, that you're being guarded for until this last day. He's encouraging the church through their trials, in the midst of their trials, not because of their trials, but while they're in them, to rejoice, getting no's probably to lots of their prayers, Asking God, may this go this certain way? And God says, no, it's not going to go that way. It's, you're going to have trials. Asking maybe to not have to go to prison and be separated from their family or whatever it may be. And God says, no, you're going to have to do that. And it's in the midst of these no's, Peter is trying to plant in their hearts something so great that they cannot be shaken. Paul also says in the opening of his book of Ephesians, he discusses that in Christ we are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us, with every, blessed us in Christ Jesus with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That's Ephesians 1, 3, I believe. Just the opening of that passage there, rejoicing in what is given to us in Christ. For some, I suppose this is pretty radical Christianity. I just think it's Christianity. (laughs) I just think it's it's what Jesus has died to give us. It's what you see from the apostles. It's what you see from the early church laying down their lives. You look at the martyrs of the early church who are, you know, laying it down gladly because what they have been given in Christ is of such great value. They would by no means turn from him. This is the logical reality of Christianity. Christ has secured for his people eternal life. When we were in bondage to sin, producing death, given life. We were death. We were in death under the wrath of God. And he, by his grace and mercy, gives us life. How does that, how can that be? I can't earn this. I'm given it. I'm dwelling in darkness and in depravity and and, cannot, and in ignorance and cannot see the way out. And Jesus Christ, the light of the world, opens eyes to see the beauty of who Christ is and what he has done for me. When I'm in darkness, the light of God breaks in and rescues me. And I don't rescue myself, but he rescues me. He has made me his own. Christian, if you are his, God has worked to bring you to himself when you were dead in trespasses and sins. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, not a wage that you've earned, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 6.23, he has made us his own. If that's the treasure that we can have been given, it deserves our full allegiance and full anchoring ourselves to. Piper, again, in his ministry, Desiring God, they have this mission statement. says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified. And the reason why that matters, for those of you that do the catechism with us, you know, who made you? God made me. What else did God make? God made all things. Why? Why did God make you in all things? For his own glory. And we'd love to go into, we could go into what that means to glorify God. It's to make him look like the precious treasure that he is. It's to, it's to honor him. It's to lift him up. But if you want to glorify God, God, this statement this from Piper, I think is so good. God is most glorified when we're most satisfied in him. Not in the things he brings us, not in getting yes answers. God's most glorified when I ask him for something and he gives it to me and I say, oh, great. I wanted this sports car and you gave it to me. God, you're wonderful. And everyone says, well, yeah, your God's great. He gave you a 94 Mustang. Yeah, way to go. (laughs) I was going to reference meatloaf. I forgot to, I was going to, I was going to try to pull out all my old stuff. 94 Mustang and meatloaf. I can still work it in here No. Um, God's glorified when you're most satisfied in Him. And when He says no, when all your cars break down, and when your bank account goes dry, and when your loved ones pass away, and when the jobs dry up, and when families break apart, and you say, Jesus, you have such great value that I'm satisfied in you no matter what. That makes God look glorious. That makes Jesus look glorious. That makes Jesus look good. When you say, you know what? I can lose all possessions. I can count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth. I have Jesus. And if I have Jesus, what can this world do to me? What can man take away from me? Nothing, nothing. Paul goes on in Philippians chapter three that he has a righteousness that is not of his own, a righteousness that has been given to him by God's grace through faith. Uh, Paul's future hope is for nothing. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. He is getting God himself, God who is eternal life. He is getting the resurrection and this eternal life. He is getting God himself. How can any no answer ever be a good thing? If God's knows cause you to cling ever more tightly to him, the one who is truly valuable, then he has blessed you. If his no's cause you to grab hold of him and say, I don't know what happens next. I don't know where this thing is going, but I trust you and I value you and I cling to you, that no is a blessing. That no is a blessing. If after going through a multitude of trials and hearing far more no's than we like, if we still have Christ, we've not suffered any true loss. We still have gained. We are free to lose because Christ is gain. Do you know Jesus in this way? Do you know Jesus this way? Not the guy who saves you out of your sins. and that's, I'm not diminishing that. <laughs> yeah, that's great. But it's kind of like we, get a, we kind of have a, a, I don't know, like entry-level Christianity. Oh, let's, just, let's just get in on the, we want fire insurance. You know, Jesus, you died for my sins. I'll take that. Thank you very much. Do you know him as your treasure? Do you know him as the one who is so precious and so valuable that if everything was taken away from you, you still know that you've gained because you have Christ? Do you know Jesus this way? It's the reality of who he is. The the infinite creator of the universe is the only one deserving of all of your praise and adoration and worship. Why? Not because he commands it, though he does. Because he actually is the only one who deserves it. Do you know Jesus this way? Then a way that is free to lose everything because to gain Christ is to gain everything. Lord willing, we all have many good days and many good events ahead of us. God has made a beautiful world, and we are fortunate to get to live in it and to love people in it and to experience it. Even five-degree weather, snowy, awful days, and the beauty that God has made. God has made many good days, a beautiful world, and we have many ahead of us. But the reality is that we also live in a broken and fallen world. There are days of trials and sorrows yet ahead for all of us. And of that, there is no question. The only question that remains is what will we cling to? What will be the anchor for our souls? Is there anything great enough to keep us and hold us through whatever comes our way in this life? There is. There is. It's Christ and his gospel. God himself If he is yours through faith in Christ, you are liberated to do well and rejoice and to lose and rejoice. If he is yours through faith in Christ, you are liberated to succeed, to do well in sports and drama and music and all these things. You're liberated to succeed and rejoice. And you're also liberated to not be so hot and rejoice because you have Jesus. If he's yours through faith in Christ, you are liberated to laugh when appropriate. When you go out to the party, when you're out with your friends having a good time, you're liberated to laugh and you're liberated to weep when things are sad. All of these things are yours and none of them, the highs or the lows, can steal anything away from you. For to have Christ is to have gained what is most necessary and most valuable, God himself. Therefore, we are able to confess we are free to lose. We're free to have a no. We're free to say this is loss and yet say Christ is gain. And I can count it all as loss, even the successes, because just for this to know the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, we are free to lose because Christ is gain. Let's pray. Father, you are gracious beyond measure. And I think about all that you've set in place to rescue us, to save us, to draw us out of our rebellion. When I was running from you, (laughs) you chased me down and drew me to yourself. Father, that's the story of every one of us who knows you through faith in Jesus Christ. We rejoice in the gospel. As we get ready to take communion, Father, we do want to rehearse and remember your Son sent to earth, living the righteous life that we should have lived, dying the death that we deserve as our substitute on the cross, resurrecting from the grave, ascending into heaven, so that every one of us, no exceptions, everyone in this room this morning, confessing their sin, confessing, God, I've rebelled against you, God, I've transgressed. God, I've not been gracious. God, I've been angry. God, I've been vengeful. God, I've held grudges. God, I've been proud. God, I have exalted myself. God, I have trusted me. And God, I have sought my kingdom, not yours. Every one of us, no matter the sin, can bring that to you this morning and say, God, I am in the wrong and I deserve your wrath. I deserve justice. I deserve judgment. But Father, we know in your grace and your mercy, you're you're sent your son to bear our burden upon himself, our punishment upon himself, so that every one of us confessing that sin, turning from it, could trust in Christ and his atoning work and be forgiven washed white as snow, justified, made righteous in your sight, and having peace with you, having the treasure of all treasures now given to us by your grace and your mercy. What a joy that is. What a blessing that is. Give us eyes, God, to see the treasure that we have in Christ. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.